This is Climate One. I'm Greg Dalton. And I'm Ariana Brocious. I've been driving an EV for more than a decade, and it's been really exciting to see the vehicles advance, many more models come on the market, and the charging infrastructure expand nationally. I've driven to Montana, all over the West, in my electric car. And there's another segment of transportation that's just starting that road to electrification, heavy-duty trucks. When you think about heavy-duty trucks, think about the garbage trucks, or mail delivery vans, or FedEx or UPS trucks that are in your neighborhood. All of those run on fossil fuels, and so do the semis that run back and forth across the country delivering all kinds of goods. If we continue with business as usual, by 2050, freight will become the highest emitting part of transportation, which itself as a category is a top source of greenhouse gases. The modern supply chain is is basically 80% trucks delivering goods. That's Chris Shimoda, Senior Vice President of the California Trucking Association. His members own and operate commercial trucks, and they are backing the move away from highly polluting diesel that has been the industry standard for decades. This is really important because it's not just about emissions, it's about people. There are lots of communities that live along these highly trafficked routes that have a lot of diesel pollution, air pollution, and that's damaging for public health. So in order to cut diesel emissions, seven states, led by California, have mandated an increasing number of zero-emission trucks be sold between now and 2035. The two leading technologies to decarbonize trucking are battery electric and hydrogen fuel cells. Either would be a big improvement for the climate and drivers. The drivers talk about how they're less tired, they don't feel as fatigued. I think electric trucks will be the biggest driver attraction and retention technology or thing that we'll ever see. That's Mike Roth, Executive Director of the North American Council for Freight Efficiency. And as we'll hear today from Mike and others, right now it's looking like battery electric trucks are closer to mass adoption than hydrogen, which means we're going to have to significantly ramp up the charging infrastructure quickly to meet California's ambitious goals. A lot of big electrical pipes for those big trucks, and that's going to be a massive engineering and construction project. Right now, there really isn't a public charging network for heavy-duty electric trucks the way there is for EVs. And recharging a big rig takes a lot more power than a passenger car, and they want to do it quickly. So the utilities and grid operators have to get involved with this as well. To get a clearer picture of where zero-emission trucks stand today and what it will take to cut emissions in this sector, I spoke with Raymond Harris, Heavy-Duty Vehicles Program Director at the International Council on Clean Transportation. We're starting to see a lot of attention and progress with respect to truck electrification. First, I think it's important to distinguish between trucks that are driving relatively short distances, such as, say, 200 miles, and then long-haul trucks. So when we look at these short-haul trucks, the solutions are very clear and already being rapidly deployed. And that's because these are going to be powered by batteries. And These are vehicles that take advantage of the fact that they have dedicated trucking depots where they're parking overnight. Uh, They have sufficient time to charge fully. And those batteries are not so big and heavy that they impede on that vehicle's ability to deliver uh, on its various routes. And I would include in that bus fleets. I would also include refuse trucks and urban delivery vehicles. You can think of uh, some of these Amazon Rivian vans as an example. The two leading options for decarbonizing heavy-duty trucking are electric batteries and hydrogen fuel cells. But though hydrogen does offer some advantages, like quick refueling, Minharis says the market is moving away from hydrogen for a lot of reasons, including cost, 
and the growing industry of battery swapping. The downside with hydrogen is that even though you have this ability to carry more weight and fuel faster, uh, it is a more expensive fuel and it is a far less energy efficient vehicle. So the hydrogen tractor is really not getting you any more mileage per diesel gallon equivalent compared to a diesel truck today. And that energy cost, especially if we're talking about green hydrogen, is such that it will never allow a hydrogen tractor to reach parity with diesel now or for the foreseeable future. And we've looked at it out to 2040. By contrast, Minhara says with lower energy and maintenance costs, there are already starting to be economic advantages to switching from diesel to battery electric trucks. For those real urban use cases that are depot-based, staying within 200 miles, I think the total cost of ownership for a number of these is already there, meaning that parity exists with diesel uh, and it's worth the investment to switch away from diesel. It's our view at the ICT that we could see 100% of uh, buses going uh, electric, meaning the sales of buses going electric by the end of this decade. And I think similar vehicle types have that possibility. And I would include drayage in that as well. Drayage refers to the movement of containers by trucks in and out of ports to warehouses and nearby distribution centers. In the trucking business, the trucks themselves are major investments. And while zero emission rigs cost significantly more than their diesel counterparts, Minharis thinks they're investments that will pay off. What's different from the passenger vehicle segment is that trucks are an asset to the business. And so whatever that upfront cost is, so long as it's making a return on that investment over time, it's worth that investment. Also, the efficiency of battery electric trucks is a big factor in their long-term affordability when they're traveling short, regular trips. But for long-haul trucks, which travel 300 to 500 miles or more and can spend upward to 20 hours a day on the road, the path to decarbonization is not as clear. These vehicles are not returning to a common point of departure. So they're point to point. Uh, That means that they're going to have to find a place to stop along the way. The other issue is that these vehicles need to have enough energy on board in order to travel that full range. So the major challenges that we see facing the long haul trucking sector have to do with land, literally space to park the truck, and also the energy storage on the vehicle, and specifically the ability of batteries to store enough power. Minharis says in order to make this work, we need to build electric truck depots with sufficient charging power along major interstate corridors. So in order for these investments in Uh, let's say, a battery electric long-haul tractor to pay off, Um, this is going to require megawatt charging, which is obviously orders of magnitude more power than what you would see in your typical home. So uh, this is the difference between long-haul trucking and uh, passenger cars, is we're just talking about bigger batteries and we're talking about much faster charging Uh, and as a consequence, much bigger investments in that infrastructure. Currently, long-haul truckers are used to refueling with diesel, which just takes a few minutes. To compete with that and supply battery trucks with a lot of power really fast, the grid will also have to undergo some changes. 
There will need to be investments in especially the distribution grid capacity of our uh, power infrastructure. This means in investments in substations, transformers, uh, feeder lines. So look out your window, um, and if there's a utility pole they'll, there, that will likely uh, need some investment if it's also heading to a, a local depot. Um, these are the types of investments that I think are going to be the most important for electrifying the trucking sector. Already, we are seeing billions of dollars of investment going into this. And again, this is ahead of any national policy that's requiring this. And we're seeing that investment because uh, the business case is there. And so I can give you a couple of examples uh, Terawatt Infrastructure is a company that is planning a long-haul charging corridor from Long Beach to El Paso, uh, 800 miles, uh, with electric depot stops every 150 miles. Tesla, who has the Tesla Semi, has been working with state officials in California and in Texas to build a 1,800-mile electric truck highway from their production facility in Fremont, California, all the way to Laredo, Texas, um, which I expect will connect to their production facility in Mexico. So these are investments that do reflect billions of dollars today that are planning for the future. Uh, and that's the scale of investment and the pace of investment that we really need to see right now. New trucks and new infrastructure aren't cheap. But Minharis says businesses large and small are putting money into this transition. Today, the owners of trucking fleets include large corporate companies like Penske and Ryder. And we also have major retailers like Walmart and Ikea um, and, and others. Some of these own trucks all right, outright. Some of them are contracting for trucks. We're seeing companies like Walmart commit themselves to uh, 100% zero carbon trucking fleet by 2040. Whether you are one of these large corporate fleets like Walmart or a small business that's operating one to five trucks, there is going to be the um, strong business case in front of you to be investing in this cheaper trucking solution, which is the zero emission battery electric solution. So if you're a company like Walmart, you will be investing with your private capital with a little bit of help from the, the government, whether that's the federal government through the Inflation Reduction Act, which provides incentives for the purchase of the vehicle as well as for the infrastructure. Um, but a company like Walmart will be investing in its bottom line and it will realize economic returns on that. Minhara says some smaller companies and businesses are opting for a newer model of truck leasing, and that lease includes charging infrastructure and parking. Companies like Forum Mobility are providing this, and we'll hear from them a bit later in the show. And that charging infrastructure and parking infrastructure is really critical, because according to estimates from the California Energy Commission, we'd need to install 52 chargers per day, every day, for seven years to meet state demand for just medium to heavy duty trucks. So it's obviously gonna take a massive coordinated effort to build out that charging network. But Manharis isn't daunted. It's not whether or not we have the resources. It's not 
a technology issue from my perspective. I think we know what is the most cost-effective solution and what will deliver the greatest health benefits. The real question is, do we have enough people in the right places at the right time to actually design and construct all of this infrastructure? So for those who are really trying to understand the job implications of this, I would say this is a huge opportunity to grow our economy and transition away from fossil fuels towards a clean energy future. But it does mean that we cannot take five to 10 years to plan for it. This is happening now. And so my message to those who have the ability to build this charging infrastructure is, do not wait for this. This is already happening and you need to start putting plans in place now to build it. On Climate One, we're talking about decarbonizing heavy trucking. If you missed a previous episode or want to hear more of Climate One's empowering conversations, subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your pods. Please help us get people talking more about climate by giving us a rating and review. Several people have done it recently, and you can do it right now on your device. You can also help by sending a link to this episode to a friend. And on our new website, you can create and share playlists focused on all sorts of topics, energy, food, women, activism, you name it. Coming up, how difficult will it be to transition away from diesel trucks by 2035? The reality is these are going to be, uh, I think revolutionary changes is the right word. I mean, it is going to involve Manhattan Project style efforts to get the charging infrastructure just alone um, in place. That's up next. Hey everyone, I'm Dan Cortler, the host of TED Climate. Each episode, we unpack the problems and solutions of climate change. This season of the show, we're getting into some big ideas that make us optimistic about the future, like meat grown from cells and leather made from mushrooms. And the best part? We look at how building a greener future can be an upgrade instead of a sacrifice. Find and follow TED Climate wherever you're listening to this. Trucking is a vast and complex segment of the economy, with many different classes of trucks fulfilling different needs for just about every type of business. Given how complex the sector is, what does the big picture look like when it comes to decarbonizing trucking? To help us understand that, I talked with Mike Roth, Executive Director of the North American Council for Freight Efficiency. As part of its mission to improve trucking efficiency, that group stages annual demonstrations called Run On Less. In 2021, they introduced Run On Less Electric, which features various trucks and charging systems to demonstrate the technology and learn from the experience. Joining our conversation is Chris Shimoda, Senior Vice President of the California Trucking Association, one of the largest groups of truck owners and drivers in the state. He gave us an overview of the commercial truck landscape. It's not homogenous. You say trucking, um, you could mean, you know, any dozen of different business models, parts of the industry that they service. And so... While there are some, you know, brand name large companies in trucking, it's really an industry that's dominated by small business, mom and pop type operations. Um, it's a majority minority workforce here in California. And the type of operations that they serve, I mean, it, it's so diverse. It's everything from construction to agriculture, 
uh, fuel delivery, food distribution. The examples I've been using with my uh, Gen Z folks is the Taylor Swift concert. I've seen somewhere between 50 and 90 trucks uh, working, you know, the riggings and costumes, getting them from town to town. So, you know, nearly every facet of modern life is touched in some way by trucking. The modern supply chain is is basically 80% trucks delivering goods. Every trucker does face very unique challenges depending on, on their operations. But I'd say that there's still maybe not a full understanding of the challenges that truckers face to really provide the levels of service that, that societies come to expect, um, you know, in the face of uh, just simple things like not having anywhere to park a truck. If you go up and down any interstate around the country, you'll probably see truckers taking their mandated rest breaks on the side of side of highways. And that's because there just simply is not enough basic areas to, to park a truck overnight. Here in the state of California, you'll, you'll hear a lot about overburdensome regulations, you know, not the least of which is the upcoming California Resources Board Advanced Clean Fleets regulation. That's really a prime example of, I think, something that is going to have a really big impact on the day-to-day operations and, and life of truckers. Well, let's pick up on that. Mike, I want to get you in here. There is this California Advanced Clean Fleets regulation will require all trucks serving the state's ports, known as drayage trucks, to start transitioning to zero emission technology beginning next year with full implementation by 2035. That's over 33,000 trucks that will need to be replaced in the next 12 years. Part of the reason we're talking about this now. What do you think, Mike, about that regulation and how that will affect this migration we need to make towards lower emissions trucking? Well, thanks, uh, Greg. You know, we've been working on alternatives to diesel for decades. And uh, the reason is, is that, um, you know, diesel has been an incredibly good fuel. Diesel engines have served us extremely well. High torque, they're great at moving um, goods. They're great at doing the uh, tough job of trucking. But diesel has, you know, is known to, to give us climate effects and health problems. Um, now, we've come a long way. I mean, the NOx and particulate matter in these trucks, as well as the carbon emissions of these trucks, the fuel economy has gotten much, much better over the last couple of decades. But we're still not there. And the drive of society to be more sustainable in all aspects, but also around moving goods is definitely upon us. There's kind of three ways to go about this, all of which the industry is working on. One is burn less diesel and moving the goods. The second is, you know, get to zero emissions where we can. And so the the rule um, is looking to turn the California fleet over from diesel to zero emission. And right now there's two ways to do that. There's battery electric trucks and there's hydrogen fuel cell electric trucks. You know, some duty cycles and some operations in trucking are, are very good for battery electric. So think about the the vans that are bringing your e-commerce packages to your homes. Now that's very small trucks or very urban trucks like delivery vehicles, box trucks, uh, maybe even some drayage and some other short haul heavy tractors where beverage is a good example. They do 60, 70, 80 miles only a day. They are at the stores bringing the beverages and food in. Um, and so they're, they're good applications for electric. Now, there's a lot of other work to do with electric, but those two are two of the three. And then the third one is um, things like renewable natural gas, renewable diesel. Uh, there are a number of fuels and technologies, including hybrids, that's happening a bit in trucks. Diesel and diesel engines were the one answer for us. We don't have one answer going forward in the future, and, and that, that means a lot of change for truckers and the whole entire supply chain of trucking. 
How will the transition to zero emission trucks affect the economics of the business? You know, a long-term plan used to be two years. I mean, it's just, it's just, we got to move the goods every day, every hour, and and the pressure's on it um, to, to move. And now we're really looking at decades, 10, 20 years, where these companies, whether you're a carrier, whether you're a truck builder, or parts supplier, a dealer, you have to really be looking at a much longer horizon. So, Given that, um, I think, you know, we don't need to have all of this figured out right now. The, the rules, um, they do um, have a, you know, a phase in, a timeline. I mean, it's like not like zero and then 100% in 2035. The benefit of the disparate types of trucking that we were talking about a bit earlier is uh, actually advantageous in this transformation in my eyes, because what it, it means is there are certain parts of the market that can be more ready for battery electric and hydrogen fuel cell when they're ready. Uh, and then we will learn from that. We will we will understand from a 75-mile heavy-duty beverage tractor and and the, uh, the, uh, the depots that are charging 50, 75, 100 of those, we'll learn from those that make sense now or soon in order for the technology to work better, um, you know, in five years for this and 10 years for, for, for a longer distance and, and so forth. Uh, we're just getting started. I mean, we do run on less electric. We did one in 2021. We're doing now one in 2023. Basically, the range of the heavy tractors has doubled in two years. You know, they've added batteries, but they've also improved the efficiency of the trucks. Charging has gone from, you know, 20, 30 kilowatts to 150, 180, in some cases, 350 kilowatts. So, and 750 for the uh, Tesla Semi. So, my point is that this technology is um, still young and will get better and better and while we um, work on the applications and the parts of the market that it economically makes sense now or soon. Uh, until we move in, move in later. Mike, what's incentivizing fleet operators to move as fast as they can? And is there a first mover advantage? Yeah, very good question. First of all, we're in a, like a when versus an if. I mean, this transformation has started. Um, there are some questions around for the longer haul return to base or the long haul disparate route, you know, truck stop sleeper trucks running all over the country. There is some real questions about whether that's hydrogen fuel cell, whether that's um, you know drop-in renewable fuels and so forth. So there are still um, a lot of questions in the, in the higher end, um, but it's happening. And so the uh, first movers, I've kind of come to the conclusion that you, know, you can't really sit and do nothing and just let this work its way out. You know, at a minimum, you need to be going to, you know, reading information, going to conferences, talking to your peers uh, in whatever part of trucking you're in, because um, it, it is happening. And it's enough of a transformation. And I've been really critical of my own thinking here to make sure that this is a big enough transformation or is this sort of like an emerging thing, you know, that's sort of an evolution, not a revolution. I think this is pretty big. I mean, this is like when we went from horse and buggies to, you know, engines, it is big. So um, there is an advantage to be a first mover. It's expensive. There's some bleeding edge. You know, I mentioned run on less. We have 10 depots right now that we're studying. They are definitely early movers, eight of which are in Chris's state. They are doing it because they, they expect it to be in the future. There is some incentives that California and other places are helping to get the infrastructure in place and the vehicles in place. But those first movers believe that they really need to not just watch, but participate early to learn and figure this out as uh, as they move into this. It's sort of that, you know, two or three year plan versus a 20 year plan. They know they better get started 
uh, or they will be behind. I kind of think the idea of waiting and being a fast follower or the myth of being a fast follower is uh, is a recipe for real problems in the industry. Chris, do you agree with Mike that this is a revolution moving away from fossil fuels to electric heavy duty trucking? And who's best positioned for this transition and who's kind of at risk? Oh, 100%. It, it is a revolution. I mean, this is going to transform the supply chain as we know it. You know, I, I'd agree with Mike in saying that you simply cannot sit on the sidelines and do nothing. The advice that we're, we're providing to fleets, you know, looking at these rules, and I would push back a bit in saying that the ramp up, unfortunately, is not, I think, as reasonable as we would like it to be. There really is a timeline problem. I, I you know, point to the fact that we're expecting, you know, roughly 2,000 drayage trucks in Southern California to age out as early as 2025, which would necessitate, it's, it's basically the electrical demand of a small city being installed to meet just that 2,000 truck fleet. Those are the sorts of things that when you look at the lead times involved in getting some of this stuff in place, uh, the charging specifically, this is not as simple as going to your truck dealership, ordering a truck, taking it home and running it. Um, there is a pretty extensive process to get the, the size of charging uh, that Mike was talking about, the 150 kilowatt, 350 kilowatt up to a megawatt speed. Eventually, that involves a pretty extensive process with your local utility, and that is really what we're telling fleets is you need to start understanding what technology is out there on the vehicle side. You also need to understand what charging infrastructure entails. This is not as simple as calling up the utility to come out the next day and install your charger. For larger type installations or where you are co-located on a specific circuit, that is going to require the utility to do uh, significant system upgrades, that can be a seven plus year process. And the just charging infrastructure installation itself on a large scale is a major capital infrastructure project. You're going to have multiple construction contractors, electricians, the utility. There, there's going to be a list a page and a half long of people involved um, in that process, and it will take years in many, many cases. So. We're encouraging folks to really get familiar with what actually deploying this technology means within their fleets. Mike, when you first got behind the wheel of an electric big rig yourself, what was it like? What was your reaction? Oh my gosh. So they are they are wonderful pieces of equipment for a couple of reasons. One, they are really simple. I meant I talked about diesel a lot, you know, but diesel has become really complex. I mean, the engine itself, we've got after treatment, you know, tens of thousand dollars of of uh, equipment on these trucks to clean up the exhaust. We've got, you know, all kinds of different technologies around sustainability or, you know, just burning less fuel and so forth. So uh, they've become really complex. The beauty of the battery electric truck is it is where it works is it's really simple. You know, you got batteries, you got electronics, you got motors, um, and you got, you know, some systems around it, like, you know, electric air conditioning and, and so forth, but much fewer parts and everything. So, that's where it starts is that it's a simpler truck. But what what then happens is it's, you know, just very easy to drive. Regenerative braking is very intuitive to the drivers. I mean, we've now worked with 40 electric truck drivers over the last couple of years. They all love the trucks. We have automatic transmissions in heavy trucks, but it's really a bit of a myth where it's a robot shift and a mechanical manual transmission. 
And so the automated manuals of today still, whenever they shift, they go all the way back to very low RPM. The whole cab shakes. It takes a long time to get from the dock out to the freeway. And it's demanding. I mean, in a couple of the videos that we just produced on Run On Less, uh, you know, the drivers talk about how they're less tired. They don't feel as fatigued, let alone the exhaust and the fuel that their clothes reek of and so forth. I think electric trucks will be the biggest driver attraction and retention technology or thing that we'll ever see. Chris, do you agree with Mike that uh, electric trucks will uh, help driver recruitment and retention? You know, at, at this point in time, it, it really just boils down to we've, we've got I think the last time I checked, around 500 of these trucks deployed, even in the state of California, which is, you know, probably the leader, if not, you know, globally, uh, certainly nationwide, uh, due to our our policies and our incentives. And so, you know, we have so little experience, but I, I would agree with the benefits to the driving experience itself are going to be clear just because of, you know, the reduced noise, reduced uh, exposure to um, exhaust, you know, every, everything that Mike talked about. Quickly, each of you, how confident are you that the industry can make a complete shift to zero emission trucking in the time required by California and the other states that are lining up with California? If we're going to hit our 2035 goal, for instance, we need to be building about 300 DC fast chargers, get, getting them installed every week in just in the state of California alone. And you know, as context, um, currently in the state, we've got 9,000 DC fast chargers throughout the entire state. So we would uh, need to build the entire state's quantity of chargers basically in the first 30 weeks of the program. So, you know, if, if you're talking nearer term, um, you know, I, I use the example of in the, the ports in Southern California alone, we need to get that, you know, city-sized uh, charging infrastructure in place by 2025. And just um, by the nature of the utility process where some of these major upgrades can take, you know, in the best case, 18 months, in the worst case, seven plus years, the likelihood that we're going to have all of that in place. And it just depends on what uh, interim goal you're looking at. Um, we are going to run into problems meeting the state's timeline. It, it, it's again, it's not a matter of that the transition is happening or that there's any opposition to it. it just the reality is these are going to be, uh, I think, revolutionary changes is the right word. I mean, it is going to involve, I've heard other people say, a Manhattan Project style effort to get the charging infrastructure just alone um, in place. Mike, here, we, yeah, we need speed and scale. Faster. Yeah, I think I think there's uh, there's some real pinch points, and and there's also a, a lot of this you know can happen and will happen, but there are some pinch points. I think battery supply. I think um, you know we're electrifying nearly everything in in humankind. It seems like so. You know, uh, we not only do we need batteries for the vehicles, we need batteries for um, you know backup power and and uh, and and and. and you know, storage when, uh, say, the wind isn't blowing and the sun's not shining. So we need uh, batteries. I think that that very well could be a pinch point. I think um, the uh, the charging infrastructure, uh, just the uh, project management of getting these chargers in the ground. Uh, third one is the uh, the grid. And then I think the last one's kind of maybe an odd one, but it's um, just how do we go from one fuel in all of these trucks to many? And how do we do that effectively? So how do we help 
each fleet out there. And Chris is right. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of fleets out there, everything from people moving lawnmowers and doing landscaping all the way up to mining trucks and all that. But how do we effectively really make the right decisions about which ones should be batteries, which ones helping customers get the right solution for their needs? Batteries, renewable diesel, renewable electric or renewable natural gas, battery electric, hydrogen fuel cells. And this time we didn't even talk about burning hydrogen in an engine, which is a very um, interesting uh, other technology. So how do we make all those decisions? That's sort of another pinch point that I see. If we do that well, this will go easier. If we don't do that well, it'll be uh, really problematic. Mike Roth is executive director at the North American Council for Freight Efficiency. And Chris Shimoda is senior vice president of the California Trucking Association. Thank you both for coming on Climate One today to talk about trucking. It's been fun. Arianna, I have to say it's exciting to hear one of the largest associations of heavy-duty truck owners and drivers talking about the move away from petroleum to batteries as a revolution. That kind of surprised me. It is surprising and it's exciting to see an industry getting on board with decarbonization at the outset. This is a big change to some of the regulations, but they seem to be working with regulators rather than fighting it. Truckers did cut a deal with California regulators. Truckers also see a role for hydrogen in certain heavy-duty vehicles. Forklifts and warehouses are one example. Yeah, and that's just because hydrogen infrastructure can be in one location, right? It's easier to refuel without having to have multiple stations. Right. Meanwhile, oil companies in Toyota are still trying to push hydrogen for passenger vehicles, but I think the market has spoken. It's clear battery electric vehicles have won in the marketplace. But for long-haul trucking, getting battery electric or hydrogen fuel cell vehicles on the road and the infrastructure built for it still remains a big challenge. And this is especially true in places like Wyoming, where distances between towns can be dozens or hundreds of miles. Climate One correspondent Emily Cohen spoke with truckers in the Cowboy State about their thoughts on zero-emission machines. It's a summer day at the KJ's gas station in Alpine, Wyoming, 40 miles south of Jackson Hole. A slow but steady stream of truckers and road trippers fill up their tanks and stretch their legs. Eric Solander, a FedEx driver who drives upwards of 200 miles a day in a three-axle straight truck, was open to driving an electric vehicle. As long as it was reliable, it wouldn't make any difference to me. Reliability is a top priority in this northwest corner of Wyoming. Winter temperatures often dip into the single digits and snow can pile up on steep mountain roads. Cold temperatures can sap EV range just as fuel economy drops for gas-powered cars. Electric vehicles to me are a joke. Javier Gonzalez, a trucker from nearby Idaho, prefers to stick to what he knows. I'm a gas-powered person, so, I mean, I've built cars my entire life, so. People think electric vehicles are the way to go, but actually they cost more money to run than a gas-powered vehicle. I mean, even to make the batteries for cars costs thousands and thousands of dollars just to make a battery. And then if the batteries go out, it costs thousands and thousands of dollars to replace them. While EVs may cost more at the outset, over time, they're more economical because of lower maintenance and fuel costs. But whether they were for or against the technology, everyone I spoke to agreed recharging infrastructure is a major obstacle. Here's Darren, a trucker from Colorado who only gave his first name. We don't have enough charging stations in the United States, especially for the trucks. It's not even enough for the cars right now, so that's the biggest thing. I mean, if they can get it at every truck stop, it wouldn't be a problem. But, 
you know, how much money would that cost? The 2021 bipartisan infrastructure law allotted $7.5 billion for states to come up with plans for how to address EV charging, with guidelines to build stations every 50 miles along interstates. But in rural states like Wyoming, the 50-mile rule can be a challenge. The few towns along Interstate 80 are about 100 miles apart. That distance is a legacy of another form of transportation, the railroad. A hundred or so miles is how far trains could travel in the late 19th century before crews needed rest and locomotives needed maintenance. Ray Barton drives coast to coast, hauling whatever will pay the bills, or as he puts it, Anything you can strap on a flatbed. I mean, I've even hauled marbles. For truckers like Ray, range anxiety with electric vehicles is real. Don't want nothing to do with them. Because <laughs> there's no charging stations, they have no power, they're breaking down. Everybody I've talked to that's seen them in California and stuff, they're sitting along the road getting towed because they're breaking down. They, and they run out of power, the batteries go dead. Along Wyoming's lonely highway stretches, it may take a lot to change hearts and minds about electrifying big rigs. At the very least, truckers here need to see evidence that the next recharge is just a few miles away. For Climate One, I'm Emily Cohen. Coming up, one company's trying to make electric short-haul trucks more affordable for independent owner-operators. We were building this charging network of charging depots, and if you don't have your own electric truck or you're not able to afford it, we will buy one for you and provide you the truck plus the charging for one monthly fee. That's up next. Hey, Climate One fans, we have some exciting news. We are now on Patreon. That means that you, as a subscriber, can get access to Climate One episodes free of ads interrupting your listening experience. For just $5 a month, your Patreon membership also gets you access to our Climate One Discord channel, where you can discuss the episode with other Climate One fans and begin to build your own climate community. Best of all, your support makes future Climate One episodes possible. Join us today at patreon.com slash climate one. We don't always stop and think about how all the things we buy that come from overseas make their way to stores and our homes. When ships come into port and drop off shipping containers, those containers then have to get moved from the port to a distribution center or a warehouse, and that movement is known as drayage. As we heard earlier in the show, the trucks that take those containers from port to distribution center are perfect vehicles to electrify. That's because they have predictable routes and dedicated destinations, which makes charging much easier and more efficient. Because of this, the California Air Resources Board has singled out drayage for accelerated transition to zero-emission vehicles. But two of the biggest obstacles faced by drivers or small companies that want to make this transition are the charging infrastructure and the price of electric trucks. The upfront cost of a heavy-duty electric truck is about twice that of a diesel one. So I talked with Adam Browning, Executive Vice President of Forum Mobility, about other ownership models that can make switching to electric trucks more affordable. So there are about 33,000 big rigs, the Class 8 trucks, uh, operating in California's ports today. Um, That is 
quite a few number of trucks. If you were to convert all of those to electric, we'd need an enormous amount of infrastructure. We're looking on the order of 2,000 acres worth of charging, about two and a half gigawatts worth of charging equipment. So uh, that will just take an enormous amount of capital in order to build. By 2024, your company hopes to offer 500 chargers across California. The California Energy Commission estimates will need 157,000 by 2030. So that's a big scale up. Um, And though, of course, your company will not be building all of those. How can we go about making that happen? Yeah, it is going to be an enormous challenge. And that figure for 157,000 chargers by 2030 applies across the board to the medium and heavy-duty trucking requirements that uh, the advanced clean fleets regulation will require. So that's not just drayage. That's that's, that's not just drayage. School buses and garbage trucks. Amazon delivery vehicles, beer distributors, everything that is currently delivered by a truck. That is a huge challenge. Like in the next um, less than 10 years, next seven years, we're looking at having to install as a state charging infrastructure at the rates of an average of 53 medium to heavy duty chargers a day, every day, including Sundays until 2030. Being able to actually do that will require just a, a rethinking of a lot of our institutions, processes, planning around electricity and electric infrastructure going forward. It is an enormous challenge. So your company, from what I understand, is uh, building some of these hubs that electric rigs, electric trucks can come and recharge overnight. So that would be like a concentrated place where many of them could hook up. When you when we talk about this number of chargers, are we referring to things like that where it's more centralized or is that like an individual charger per vehicle type of thing? Yeah, that number of, you know, 157,000 that refers to the number of say, you know, dispensers. Think about that as just like the the number of plugs that we're going to need. Many chargers have dual dispensers, but uh, we're just thinking about when you charge your uh, bolt at home, you plug it in, we need that handle that connects to your car, we're going to need 157,000 of those. So yes, for mobility, our business model is to um, help build the infrastructure to enable this transition to zero emission trucks for the drayage industry. And we believe, you know, success in this will mean clean air for our communities. It'll mean hope in the fight against climate change. And also importantly, if we're able to do this right, it will mean a lower cost per mile for the truckers as well. So speaking to costs, a battery-powered truck can cost as much as half a million dollars with taxes and fees. And that's about twice or more than twice, actually, what a diesel truck costs. So explain uh, the truck as a service model and how you help operators overcome that. For people that are looking to make this transition, there are a couple of challenges. One is, where do you charge it? And we're trying to address this by building the charging both in and around the ports, as well as around the distribution centers, which are in Oakland that's concentrated out in the Central Valley around Manteca to French Camp to Stockton, in ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, which are the largest port complex in the country that moves the most freight. Uh, it's There's a ton of stuff in South Central Los Angeles, but then also out to the Inland Empire. So it's important that you build the entire ecosystem of charging. So both the where the trucks start and where they end. And so we have sites 
in the port of Long Beach, inside of the port of Oakland. And uh, we're building that entire network out to wherever a truck needs to go. The other big challenge is the cost of the truck. And the good news here is that, uh, you know, the cost of batteries have come down quite a bit and will continue to do so. I think if you look back 15 years, the cost of lithium-ion batteries have come down about 87%. There was a pause and then an uptick during COVID and the supply chain challenges that we saw globally uh, that faced many industries. We have seen through the investment of the Inflation Reduction Act uh, just a absolutely biblical transformation of the uh, of the complete battery supply chain manufacturing industry in the United States. And so I am quite confident that uh, we'll see, again, a continued uh, really radical reduction in battery uh, prices, which is the the largest component of the cost in a truck. So in order to get there, though, you need two things. One is you need some incentives in order to help close that cost gap, to stimulate demand, to grow scale and bring down costs. And then two, you need a long-term financial perspective. And so many of the people that are in the drayage industry are 87, 80, 80% or so are independent owner operators, and they don't have a whole lot of resources. They don't have great financing capability. So we offer two different products. One is that we are building this charging network of charging depots. And we will, if you have your own truck, we'll offer you uh, access to charging on that network. If, however, you don't have your own electric truck or um, you're not able to afford it, we will buy one for you and provide you the truck plus the charging for one monthly fee. With the incentives that are available today, we can provide that at a rate that is roughly equivalent to diesel right now. Adam Browning is Executive Vice President of Forum Mobility. Adam, thanks so much for joining us on Climate One. Oh, absolutely my pleasure. Thank you. Now let's hear from someone using the services that Forum Mobility offers. Rudy Diaz is the CEO of Height Logistics, a family-owned business that specializes in drayage services in Southern California. Diaz actually named the company after his favorite high school English teacher. He's a person that kind of just took interest in me and, and taught me about life. So I named Height Logistics um, after James Height. And my intention with Height Logistics at the time was just to kind of get you know, be self-employed, get going on my own, and just provide some stability for myself. Three years later in 2014, uh, the demand for high logistics grew, uh, grew to a point that I needed to bring staff on board. Uh, so I started hiring people in 2014. And since 2014, uh, we've just have not stopped growing. Currently, we're at 35 employees. We have five company trucks. We offer drayage services from the port of LA and Long Beach to the, to the greater LA area. It's about a 70 mile radius where most of our containers go. But we also deliver containers to Arizona, Nevada, Utah, and even Colorado. So you've been operating diesel or um, internal combustion trucks, and you've been transitioning to electric. So what sold you on that, on electric rigs? Well, what sold me before? You know, obviously, just being mindful of the environment. Um, you know, I try to do my little part, you know, recycle, maybe consume less. But it's, it, it always feels like it's not enough. Um, and then when the state of California actually mandated 
that we have electric trucks, it was it was kind of a right fit for me. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of pushback to, oh, you know, now we got to go electric. It was like, okay, well, I, I see that happening. It's it's happening around me. Companies are being more conscious. People are being more conscious about the environment and just, you know, the, the type of uh, fuels that we're using. So it was really society as a whole and also the mandates fast-tracking that reality for high logistics. And you've also been partnering with Forum Mobility, and they are offering this subscription model, which allows people like yourself to sort of rent, I guess, some of these electric vehicles in place of actually purchasing them outright. Can you explain how that works in practice from your side of things? Yes. And, you know, it's really a lease program. Um, these trucks are, you know, upward of 350000 450000 So they're very expensive to a mid-sized drage provider like myself. They're almost unattainable to to buy, go out and buy 10 trucks. Um, it's a lot of investment. So what Form Mobility has done is that they've taken this component of offering a turnkey solution to companies like High Logistics or smaller companies that may not be able to afford these trucks and basically have given you a truck that you can lease from them that includes uh, that will include parking and electric electricity for you to charge your truck. So in our case, uh, we worked out a different deal because we had enough power in our facility to create our own chargers. So Formability did build out the infrastructure in our facility to put four working chargers with eight dispensers. So we can technically charge eight trucks at any given time. Um, they provide the trucks, they provide the maintenance. So yeah, this partnership with Formability is very vital to us because without them, I don't think we would be, I actually, I don't think, I know that we wouldn't be this far ahead. How confident are you that the wider industry can make this shift to zero emission fleets in the time required by these California regulations? I would say it's very realistic, the year 2035 to do this, but companies have to start doing now, planning now, talking to companies like Formability or doing homework on their own because of our shorter runs, I, I think is very possible. What effect do you think electric trucks will have on the air quality for the neighborhoods that exist between your warehouses and the ports that currently get a lot of pollution from diesel trucks? I think it would be great. I mean, just from seeing the trucks coming in, in and out of our yard, um, you know, there's no pollution, there's no exhaust. And records have shown, even with the clean program that happened in 2009, because the ports have already rolled out a program like this. The port in, in the state have already rolled out programs like this in California. And the pollution has gone down. Obviously, it hasn't been enough. Uh, lung disease, asthma, heart failures are still greater in these areas. But if we look at data from the past to data now, there was a significant drop in air pollution in, in those areas. And you can say, okay, well, that's because we've sent our manufacturing overseas. True. But there's also better regulations with cars, smog checks, electrification of, of, of vehicles. So I, me personally, I, I can look out and see the St. Gabriel Mountains more visible than I did maybe 10, 15 years ago. So that to me is a sign that the air quality is improving around the LA area and around the ports and warehouses. And another thing that uh, we need to mention here is the, the noise pollution. When a truck leaves or enters our facility, it, I mean, you almost have to be careful because you cannot hear it. So it's, you know, not only great for the environment um, as far as the homes that live near where these trucks are coming in and out of because the air, the sound pollution is, is less and also healthier for the drivers. You know, they don't have to get into a loud truck 
that they operate on a day-to-day basis on an hour-to-hour basis so for them it's you know and asking the drivers i think if you were to tell a driver to get off that electric truck and go to the diesel i don't think they would anymore rudy diaz is ceo of height logistics rudy thank you so much for joining us on climate one yeah thank you for having me on climate one today we've been talking about decarbonizing short and long-haul trucking Climate One's empowering conversations connect all aspects of the climate emergency. To hear more, subscribe wherever you get your pods. And let's face it, talking about climate can be really hard and sometimes uncomfortable, and it is critical to address the transitions we need to make in all parts of society. You can help us get people talking more about climate by giving us a rating or a review, or you can send a link to this episode to a friend. On our new website, you can even create and share playlists focused on specific topics, By sharing, you can help people have their own deeper climate conversations. Brad Marston is our senior producer. Our managing director is Jenny Park. Ariana Brocious is co-host, editor, and producer. Austin Colon is producer and editor. Megan Basili is our production manager. Our development manager is Wensi Shada. Ben Testani is our communications manager. Our theme music was composed by George Young. Gloria Duffy is CEO of the Commonwealth Club of California, the nonprofit and nonpartisan forum where our program originates. I'm Greg Dalton. Hey, Climate One fans. We've all gotten used to a subscription model for paying for the things we really value. Here at Climate One, it's no different. We produce this show every week for free, and now we're offering you an opportunity to get our show free of ads. For just $5 per month, you can join us on Patreon and get access to our episodes free of ads and get access to our exclusive Climate One Discord channel. That allows you to discuss the episode with other Climate One fans and begin to build your own climate community. Best of all, your support makes future Climate One episodes possible. Join us today at patreon.com slash climate one.